Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio, a climate change podcast. I'm your host, Peterson Toscano. This episode is airing on Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. Tamara Staten shares another important step for us from the Resilience Corner. And today, we're exploring that all-important question, what is an effective climate change story? In this episode, I will share some of what I've learned. I will provide you with samples from a variety of sources. And by the end of this episode, you will have fresh ideas about how to tell your stories. We will look at stories about the impacts of climate change. These include incidents of extreme weather. They can also be stories about changes you have witnessed over time and the ways these changes affect you and everything and everyone you love. Let's hear a moving story that looks at the dangers caused by extreme weather. Dr. Natasha Dijonet is a public health expert who has been on our show many times. Dr. Dijonet is an assistant professor in the Christina Lee Brown Environment Institute at the University of Louisville Division of Environmental Medicine. She researches the health impacts of extreme heat exposure and environmental health disparities. She tells us a dramatic story from when she was 12 years old. It was late on a Saturday night, and mom, dad, and I were leaving the home of our family friends, a few miles from our home in Georgetown, Kentucky. It was extremely dark, but we could see that it had rained because the street looked a little wet and the grass had some rain droplets on it. But we were all smiles as we hopped in the car, reminiscing on the new memories we had just created with our friends. Then we started our drive home. Within less than a minute, I heard my dad say from the driver's seat, I can't see the road anymore. Within seconds, we figured out why, as the front tires splashed in the water, and then the rear tires. The tires were quickly submerged. As the water crept up, I heard the engine go from a strong hum to a low, deep growl. The water started to seep in the car, and it was puddling beneath our feet. Panic set in. We couldn't turn around. In fact, Dad no longer had full control of the car. We began looking desperately for solutions. I looked outside the rear passenger window beside me, and instead of solutions, I saw my 12-year-old reflection. On the other side of the window, I saw water creeping up. In my reflection, the water was at my chin. Panic turned into fear. Then the water was at the same level of my nose and my reflection. Fear turned into terror when I saw the water go over my head and my reflection. We were terrified. This was an entire family in the car. A dad, a mom, their only child. All of our hopes and dreams facing the immediate threat of death. As we searched desperately for a solution, we noticed a driveway nearby. This was our only hope. Somehow, the floodwaters guided us to that driveway and Dad began to regain control of the car and turn the car towards the driveway. We drove up the driveway and from there we watched the floodwaters for hours until about 3 a.m., those floodwaters were higher than the mailbox at that house. 
We were mostly silent during that time, but I'm certain we were all individually sending up prayers of thanks to God for surviving the impossible. The next day, we shared our story with our friends, and they explained to us that that happens every time there's a heavy downpour, saying you can't get into or out of the neighborhood whenever that happens. They even shared their similar experience of being trapped in floodwaters on the same street with their small kids in car seats. Mom and I were on that street recently, and she pointed out a cross on the side of the road near our incident. And she explained that a woman had gotten trapped in the floodwaters a couple weeks before and didn't make it. They found her car the next day. Let's look more closely at Dr. Natasha Dijernet's story. It will help us see what an effective story contains. I find in her story three elements that are essential. One, an actual story or a narrative. Two, compelling specific details, especially those that tap into people's senses. And three, the emotions of the storyteller. You can hear these three very clearly in Dr. Dijernet's story. First of all, it is a story. She shares a specific moment in her life that includes characters, conflict, and a resolution. She's not telling us about her opinions regarding climate change or ideas for addressing it. She captures our attention with an action-packed story. Secondly, she provides compelling, specific details. As the water crept up, I heard the engine go from a strong hum to a low, deep growl. The water started to seep in the car, and it was puddling beneath our feet. And finally, she names multiple emotions like confusion, fear, panic, and relief. I don't know about you, but she also stirred up my own emotions. In a moment, you will hear Dr. Dijernet as she shares the climate change pivot. This is an absolutely essential step in our climate communication. The climate change pivot bridges your story to an actionable next step. First though, let's hear more climate change impact stories. In addition to stories about extreme weather, we can tell stories about the unfolding changes happening to the climate around us. These changes occur over years and they affect us personally and emotionally. Poet Lillis Mellon-Guignard writes poetry and nonfiction. In January, she will be on our show to talk about her experiences of being a woman alone in the wilderness. She wrote about these experiences in her memoir, When Everything Beyond the Walls is Wild, Being a Woman Outdoors in America. In her short poems, Lillis shares what it feels like to live in this time of climate change. As a parent, she weaves in emotions that may be familiar to some listeners. Earlier this year, Lillis led a poetry workshop for climate change leaders. The BTS Center promotes spiritual leadership in a climate-changed world. For the workshop, they commissioned me to collaborate with Lillis. She recorded readings of her poems, I then added music and sound effects. You will hear Lillis read two poems, After the Magi Depart and Evergreen. For people in North America who enjoy winter weather and feel a pang about the warming of our winters, Lillis expresses both grief and determination. Each poem is a mini-story of moments in the life of a parent and children. 
More importantly, Lilith tells the deeper emotional stories many of us quietly experience. After the Magi Depart by Lilith Mellon Ginyard. On the tongue, the names sparkle like snowflakes. Benzene, toluene, xylene, before their sounds melt into air. Parents watching kids leap and tumble in white drifts would need to repeat the syllables to keep them from evaporating. But who doesn't want fear to break into tiny pieces and float away? So of course we focus on the children, sledding down and trudging up the hill, nothing around but cow pastures, cornfields, fences, and a drill rig flaring half-mile away, the tip cozy like a candle. This is the life, the land we know. Change is coming. We can feel it like a dream and squint into the twilight looking for our kids, looking for a sign clear as an angel saying, Arise and take the young child. But all we hear is benzene, toluene, xylene. The air is crisp and sparkles. Our children laugh through blue lips. Evergreen. And the poets are at their windows because it is their job for which they are paid nothing every Friday afternoon. From Monday by Billy Collins. The day after Christmas, 2006, and nowhere in the lower 48 is below 30 degrees Fahrenheit, except, my husband reports, a spot in Maine. I can be upbeat. Children in northern climes with new bikes are out riding them, spinning circles and circles. But how can I ignore those tykes who stand on porches, holding sleds, their hats in their hands? Really, it is not today that worries me, an unremarkable gray without threat or promise. Same birds at the feeder. Neither does tomorrow, a word my son knows only means not now, but some vague future. How will any child believe in a jolly giver of gifts wearing a fur coat by a fire at the icy top of the world once the glaciers are puddles in our textbooks? Regardless, the poets will be at their windows finding new images, maybe something a pretty shade of green to compare the sky to. Pretty if we can just divorce memory from emotion and approach the new dawn, whatever its color, with the heart of a child on Christmas Eve who, looking back, knows he could have let go of the cat's tail sooner, feels bad that she busted her brother's favorite train, yet hopes a larger forgiveness presides. Yes, we poets will always be at our windows, except when at our children's bedsides, singing, shushing, 
singing. Learn more about Lillis at her website, tentofonesown.com. Many thanks to the BTS Center for supporting the work of artists addressing climate change. Learn about their online book studies, retreats, their podcasts, and other programs by visiting thebtscenter.org. Coming up, you will hear about the all-important climate change story pivot, plus Tamara Staten with the Resilience Corner. Stay tuned. The climate change pivot happens when you jump off of your story into the climate solution you're proposing. Dr. Natasha Dietrinette told us the moving story about her family trapped in their car in the middle of a sudden flood. In my reflection, the water was at my chin. Panic turned into fear. Then the water was at the same level of my nose and my reflection. After she tells this story, She then does the climate pivot. Climate change is causing more frequent and more intense flooding events. These increase our risk of illness, injury, and even death. This puts communities like our friends at greater risk. But adaptation activities can help protect us from the immediate dangers. For example, environmental health practitioners can work with planners to make flood-prone communities more resilient. But we urgently need mitigation action to prevent the climate crisis from getting worse. It's been said that we're the first generation to experience the health impacts of climate change. And it's also been said that we're the last generation that can do something about it. So you have your story and then the pivot. This combination might very well bring the person closer to acting on climate change. That means they're ready for a practical, meaningful, achievable next step, like want to join me for our next local citizens climate lobby meeting? Or do you want to get together over coffee sometime next week to talk more about this? All right, let me summarize everything we've covered today. Climate change impact stories are the most common stories I hear. The stories that reveal the dangers of climate-induced extreme weather and other impacts on our lives and the world. Make sure your story is compelling with specific details and emotions. Once you tell your story, switch to the climate change pivot. This is when you connect your story to the climate work you're doing or a particular solution you're pursuing. Finally, give your listener something to do. Suggest a meaningful and achievable next step. Next month, we will do a deep dive into another type of climate change story, a story that reveals the impacts of climate change solutions. And here's a little teaser for you. It is a future success story 
This type of story relies a lot on our visioning and imagination. We need to imagine a world filled with solutions and then tell stories about this world. Our goal is to reveal what we are working so hard to achieve. You will find a large and growing collection of these types of stories on the website withmanyroots.com. This is the home of the Cli-Fi Imaginarium. I collaborated with Alison Whitaker, one of the facilitators at withmanyroots.com. She wrote a story immersed in a solution. Together, we created a radio drama version of her story, Forest at the End of the Lane. This story was inspired by a climate solution known as tree intercropping. Tree intercropping increases the carbon content of the soil and the productivity of the land. It reduces erosion while creating habitat. It protects fast-growing annuals from wind and rain damage. It also protects light-sensitive crops from excess sunlight. And it draws up minerals and nutrients for shallow-rooted plants. Allison has a story set dab smack in the middle of a community forest garden. She shares a vision of what it would be like to experience tree intercropping. And she includes at least one creature who found a home in it. Here is Allison Whitaker with her story, Forest at the End of the Lane. I tug on my boots and shuffle through the tall, wet grass, carefully trying to dodge the last dandelions of the year. Mist floats just above the ground as the sun tries valiantly to burn through the clouds. Coco and I have just finished our breakfast, and it's time to do some foraging. I tuck a few wildflower blossoms into my gathering basket as we walk. Coco loves these walks. I love them too. We follow the lane until it ends in the neighborhood forest garden. When we moved to the Green Collective community three years ago, the first item of business was a course on respecting the shared spaces, including how to harvest food from the community forest garden. At first, I expected people to trash our shared spaces because in years past, shared areas became no man lands, unsafe, abused, and ignored. Seeing communities like mine turn this around has created an immeasurable sense of community pride. Forest fresh air revitalizes my body especially when I've been cooped up indoors. I breathe deeply in these walks. They allow me to recalibrate and give me time to think. As we walk along, I collect apples, spinach, wild garlic, and mushrooms. The birds sing in the canopy above, and I'm starting to learn their calls. Nightingale, woodlark, robin. We've learned to leave some food for the forest creatures because if we don't, they'll take the unripened fruit and vegetables or their population will dwindle and the ecosystem will become imbalanced. Forest gardens are all about balance and learning how to keep things in balance is something we're learning from indigenous cultures around the world. Our community collective has been key in connecting indigenous elders from around the world to towns like mine and ensuring they are fairly compensated for sharing their wisdom. It's led to flourishing indigenous communities and the regeneration of land in communities like mine all over the world. 
When learning the forest garden, we were told that there might be predators. They are an important part of the ecosystem. A chill runs down my spine. Slowly, my breath comes again. My mind running through the possible scenarios. We aren't supposed to kill predators unless we feel our own life is in danger. Could I even kill if my life was in danger? I was trained to make myself look bigger and make loud noises to send threatening creatures running in fear. The last cry makes me believe this animal is in danger. Coco and I make eye contact and I give her the hand signal to stay by my side. She silently slinks over. I leash her to be sure she doesn't get too curious and we press on down the trail. I attempt to get a view of the source of the cries. We reach a vantage point, and through the mess of vines and undergrowth, I see it. Uh, what is that? It's a badger, and it's struggling. It seems to have a paw tangled in something, and that badger is not going anywhere. The badger's claws have carved deep troughs in the ground, and its lips curl back in a snarl to show very large, very yellow teeth. Fudge sickles. Do I try and help the badger and risk being hurt? Do I leave and let it perish? I tie Coco's leash to a tree and instruct her to sit quietly. In my bag, I carry a set of wire cutters because the forest garden was created on an old farm, and errant barbed wire in the underbrush is a regular nuisance. Looking more closely, I realize that the badger's paw is tangled. I edge the clippers out of my bag and slowly move forward. That was Allison Whitaker reading her story, Forest at the End of the Lane. Special thanks to the Wildlife Conservation Research Unit for their awesome badger sounds. Learn about their work at wildcru.org. You can read more future solution stories like Allison's over at the Cli-Fi Imaginarium. Just visit withmanyroots.com. You will find an outline of all these storytelling tips in our show notes, cclusa.org. Under the blog tab, select Climate Change Podcast. Look for episode 78, What is an Effective Climate Story? Do you want to learn more about climate storytelling and get some experience in a group? Join me for a storytelling celebration. Citizens Climate Education will host a free online storytelling workshop January 17th, 2023. You're going to walk away with fresh inspiration in telling your compelling climate stories. It's going to be fun and informative. Join me on Tuesday, January 17th, 2023, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. To register for the training, visit cclusa.org story. Our time is nearly up, but we still have time for Tamara Staten in the Resilience Corner. Hi, I'm Tamara Staten, CCL's Education and Resilience Coordinator, and this is the Resilience Corner. 
do everything that I can to see that you have what you need to stay strong and steady in the important climate work that you're doing. Last month in the corner, we reviewed five key steps to deepening resilience. Noticing, accepting, seeking help, practicing, and repeating that process regularly. And then we took a deeper look at the first step, noticing. While it's clearly important to notice the world around us, this first step of noticing encourages awareness of what's happening within us. And this can bring us closer to accepting our experience and the world as it is. And that's step two that we're going to explore today, accepting. There are two aspects of acceptance that can help us deepen our resilience. The first one involves making space and allowing for our thoughts, feelings, and needs. Because when it comes right down to it, what you need is what you need. The second part of acceptance involves a willingness to see our surroundings and circumstances exactly as they are in the moment. Acceptance in this way, free from judgment, allows us to focus our energy and attention on what matters most. As a foreign language teacher, I feel pretty fascinated by word origins. The Latin root of the word acceptance mean to take something to oneself. In my words, bring closer. Bring something towards your heart in a way that resonates and allows you to be close to it. This is the goal with acceptance. But it's not always easy, right? How often do we know exactly what we need? Last night, I was grumpy and irritable. I didn't know why. Initially, I resisted my inner grump and felt frustrated and annoyed with me, my mood, and not knowing why I felt this way. But then I remembered, make space, allow, bring closer. And with time and clarity around what I needed, my mood improved. Then there's the challenge of judgment and expectation. Once I'm clear on what I want or need, I can get pretty judgy about that need. Sometimes I tend to make my needs or feelings mean all sorts of things about me or others. If I'm tired during the day, I may get all up in my head about how I should have gone to bed earlier. If I'm hungry and need to eat, I might get hypercritical about what to eat and how often. It's so easy to spin out into criticism, especially with those needs that feel harder to meet. One challenge with this judgment, however, is that it makes it much harder to meet the need. Instead of hearing the need, I hear the story that I'm telling myself about needing it. For the moment though, the best and most effective way through is with non-judgmental acceptance. Accepting our internal experience is definitely helpful. Similarly beneficial is making space and allowing for what's happening around us. This can be challenging, particularly when the circumstances don't favor us or leave us feeling deeply concerned, like climate change or election results. There's a big part of me, big, that doesn't want to accept certain things as they are. My desire for change motivates me to act, and I like that. Sometimes I worry that if I just accept things as they are, I'll just give up. But when I really think about it, accepting something doesn't mean I like it. Acceptance doesn't have to be a stamp of approval. Instead, the process of accepting, of taking something to myself, creates a level of peace and ease. It helps me to see things more clearly without being distracted by defiance. And that clarity makes more space to take action where it really matters. Next month, we'll take a closer look at asking for help. But for now, see what you can do to give yourself latitude 
to feel what you feel and need what you need without judgment, because we need you and your deep commitment to a livable planet Earth. I'm Tamara Staten with The Resilience Corner. I thank you for being here and for your commitment to progress. To learn more about tools, trainings, and resources for deepening resilience, check out our Resilience Hub at cclusa.org forward slash resilience. From there, you can also access and share Resilience Corner videos with friends and family who might be interested. And until next month, remember this. You are strong. You are strong are resilient, and you've got what it takes to make good things happen. Thank you, Tamara. I am loving this series so much, especially how much you're encouraging to us, which I know we all need. At least I know I need. Thank you. The Resiliency Hub website is cclusa.org slash resilience. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 78 of Citizens Climate Radio. Next month, we will do a deep dive into what I see as the most effective type of climate change story, the stories about climate solutions. You'll also learn about the climate solution motivation story, perhaps the hardest and most effective type of story to tell. Special thanks to the members of our advisory board, Tamara Staten, Maggie Stenbach, Katie Zorkreski, Sarah Bagatelle, Kaylee Roach, Solemi Hernandez, Hannah Rogers, Sean Daig, and Brett Cease. Citizens Climate Radio is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. Other technical support from Ricky Bradley and Brett Cease. Social media assistance from Ashley Hunt Motorano, Lenny Winchester, Katie Zorkreski, Finley Hungerford, and Steve Volk. Moral support from Madeline Para. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education.